Welcome, welcome, welcome. You, you, it's been a week. It's been a couple weeks. Well, it's been a week. I think I'm actually recording this shortly after I recorded the last one. Either way, it has been a uh, interesting couple of weeks these past these past couple of weeks. Um, what am I talking about? What's going on? What's happening in the world today that is making me say these things? As of February 12th, um, the U.S. military has been called up four times in eight days to destroy a mysterious craft in midair. Um, and on the 12th, the last three days, there was one each. So, yeah, what's going on out there? We got some UFOs. We got some UAPs. I'm telling you, this podcast is just... Um, I'm bringing everything to the forefront. I talk about it, and then things start happening. We had the Georgia Guidestones. One month later, where are they? Blown up. Uh, I finished my UFO UAP series on and the government's interactions. What happens? UFOs galore. They start showing up everywhere. We're shooting aircraft, and mind you, we know some was was uh, Chinese spy balloons, but that's and they admitted to that. But we've got some other aircraft the government's not telling us about. They don't want us to know what it is. Um, so, yeah, we're going to be keeping an eye on that for sure. I'm probably talking about it a little bit more next episode. Um, it has been a busy, busy couple of weeks for me as well. So my research times haven't been the best. Um, but we're here today. I don't even have a big opener for you. I'm going to be honest. Like, normally we have some things to talk about. The truth is, I am literally recording this, I think, one week after the last episode. Normally, there's a couple weeks in between my recordings. I record it, and then I you know, edit and everything the following week, and then I put it out there. Um, but yeah, this is these recordings are right on top of each other, because the other one was... Um, yeah, I don't know why, actually. It's weird. I knew I was going to have today free, um, so I wanted to take that time to utilize it and get this recorded. I've been doing some research, been doing some in-depth. I've been in the, the darkest, grimiest corners of the interwebs trying to find you all the best information on today's topic, which, I'm going to be honest, I don't think I had ever heard of this before. I might be wrong. I'm I'm 90% positive Sean Patrick said, hey, here's something to look into. Um, so I was like, you know what? I trust your opinion. It's a cryptid. I like cryptids. You like cryptids. We're going to go on a cryptid hunt. Um, but yeah, this one is... Uh, never heard of it until about... I believe it was about a month ago. Sean Patrick sent me the... Uh, sent me a message saying, hey, look into this. So, what did I do? I looked into it. So, let's just cut to the chase. Let's, uh... I'm trying to think if there's anything else important. We're at four minutes right now. I might be able to get into the actual topic before 15 minutes into the episode, like normally. Um, but no, I really don't think anything major is going on right now. Um, as far as it needs talked about, 
So we'll just, we'll hop into it. We'll get after it right now. So what is it? What are we talking about today? I haven't even put anything up on Instagram yet, so I can't be like, oh, I'll reference this. You can see this. Which I will put things up on Instagram regarding. You know how I do. Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, new TikTok up. Go check it out. Um, yeah. So this week we're going to talk about a very fun cryptid, a very creepy cryptid. Um, one that if you live in the U.S. and don't travel much, you will probably, I'll say you'll never see just because of its location. We're going to talk about the Mongolian death worm. That's pretty intense, right? If I have recently bought a guitar and I am going to try and start learning again. So we won't say if we say once. I get that going once I'm up and running. The name of my metal band is going to be Mongolian Deathworm. Actually, I'm going to look that up right now. Because if it's not taken, it's getting taken. There's a good chance it is taken. Because it's such a good name. Um, let's see here. Let's do a quick searchy on the Spotify All right, somebody's got it. They only have five songs. Oh, man. Dang it. Can't even be upset. So the titles on the songs, that there's a fi it's a five-song album. It's a child, well, maybe not a child, but a, a hand-drawn, very child-esque picture drawn with the Mongolia Deathworm with two guns shooting a bunch of stick figures. Um, the title of the album is It Must Feed. And let's, let's, I'm going to do it. I'm just going to go through their five names of their songs. Tyrannosaurus Hex. Pretty cool. The Space Monster from Outer Space. Repetitive, but good. Bigfoot Jamboree. Uncontrollable salivary dripping. And last but not least, the Rock Nest Monster. I'm going to listen to this after the episode. I will have to. You should listen to it after the episode as well. And we'll both give me, give me a review. Maybe I'll probably... I'm going to have to give them some props and share it now because I brought it up in the episode. And the names are amazing. I'm just hoping... Fingers crossed, the songs are as good as the as the titles of the songs. Which reminds me, <laughs> it reminds me of Austrian Death Machine, which was also a phenomenal band that was just all songs related to Arnold Schwarzenegger movies and quotes. And it was, I think, I don't know if it was all the people from As I Lay Dying or just some of them, but... Props to that, too. It's been a while since I've listened to it. Maybe I'll have to bust that out the next time I'm in the car. All right, let's get on, though, with the Mongolian Death Worm. 
this again. We, in my last episode, I spoke a lot about my amazing enunciation skills when it comes to the Spanish language. Now, the Mongolian language, on the other hand, I can't make as many promises. I wish I could, but I can't. I'm going to have to, I'm going to wing it. I'm going to try to make sure this is done right. That, that, that's all, that's the best I can give. So, the original name of the Mongolian deathworm is Olgoy Korokoy. Olgoy Korokoy. Uh, which translates roughly to intestine worm, um, due to its alleged resemblance to the insides of a cow. Yummy. Believed to live in the Gobi Desert, the Mongolian deathworm is an infamous creature whose legend lives in second-hand accounts that have been passed down for generations. Olgoy Korki Korkoy. Olgoy It's a tongue twister. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm going to mess it up a bunch. Olgoy Korkoy. Korkoy. It's O-L-G-O-I with the... It's not tildes. What are they? I can't remember what they call the double dots. Dash K H O R K H O I with the double dots again above the I. Um, enjoys a reputation in Mongolia, but about the same as that of ball lightning in the Western world. Just about everyone knows someone who who's seen it, but few admit having seen it for themselves. Uh, the Mongolian deathworm lives in the most sandy, desolate parts of the Gobi Desert. Uh, it hibernates for 10 months of the year. It's a heavy sleeper. I wish I could hibernate for 10 months of the year. And no, that's not depression talk. I just like sleeping. Um, legend has it that these terrifying creatures spend most of their time hidden underneath the sandy dunes of the Gobi Desert, but that they often surface during the wetter months of June July. If a local should happen upon this creature, they know to stare clear. From what I've heard, it's very well known in Mongolia. Um, it is something that people actually believe in there. And like I said, there are people who have claimed to see it, but it's very, it's more likely that you've heard of it than seen it. Um, and believe it's real, um, because yeah, it's been it's been part of the Mongolian culture for a very long time. Um, aside from humans, the Mongolian deathworm preys on camels. What it likes to do with the camels is it'll kill the camel. Um, it will leave its eggs inside the animal's intestines, and it will eventually turn the camel the same shade of red as the creature. Um, so yeah, it's like a little incubation station for, for the eggs, a little cutting up with the tauntaun and keeping it nice and toasty. Well, it's already hot there. Okay. Bad reference. Well, there is some cold spots. Sometimes it can get cold. I mean, there's snow leopards that live there, which we will get to. Um, some people believe before the Mongolian death worm attacks, It'll rise half of its body from the sand and inflate until it explodes, which is when lethal poison is sprayed across the victim. 
So yeah, that's uh, it's an interesting, which makes us believe that there has to be more than one that they are breeding. It's not just the Mongolian death worm. It is the Mongolian death worms. Um, but like I said, which leaving its eggs inside of the animal intestines, so inside of the camel. So we believe that it is reproducing, and it's not just one, but many. Um, because, yeah, when it does attack, it, it inflates until it explodes, and then the lethal spray, which some, some of the accounts, as some of the articles I was reading said it sprays it, not necessarily just explodes. Um, but let's talk about its appearance and its abilities a little more. The most common description that kept popping up was sausage-like sandworm. Again, yummy. It is a long, um, dark red sausage-like sandworm with spikes jut jutting out of both ends of its shapeless body. Um, so there aren't any noticeable eyes or nose. Um, although most people claim the Mongolian deathworm does not have a mouth, others argue the creature does have a mouth and it's able to open exceptionally wide to bear its rows of sharp, inward-pointing teeth. Getting a real sarlacc feel here. I guess those were more outward-pointing teeth. Either way, um, it is five to seven feet long. That's the uh, the average what we're what we're going with here. It is. Thick as a human arm. Um, so you get this five to seven foot long arm coming at you with these inward pointing teeth. And it's about to spit some venom on you. Start running. Um, it's said to have a corrosive yellow venomous spit strong enough to corrode metal or electric. Oh, strong enough to corrode metal. Or, 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 and, um, electrical shocks powerful enough to kill an adult human. So it's also, uh, it's also electrifying. So it's got, it's got two things going for it right now as far as defense mechanisms, which would be to spit the yellow corrosive venom or to shock you to death, which if this, if the case is that it has these abilities, the thought of it needing to explode to put its venom on you seems unnecessary and not true. But who knows? I don't know. These are... I'm just bringing you the facts I have from the articles I read, which I'm going to start adding at the end of the episode notes. So if you, yourself, would like to do more research and look more into... The things I talk about on the episode, um, you can have some articles that give you a little more deep dive into it. Um, but yeah, so there's also, it's also been said to have the ability of color changing. Um, kind of being like a camouflage almost, being able to, depending on its environment, change its color to that environment. Um, so, as British biologist Carol Shucker noted on the legendary creature 
in The Unexplained, an illustrated guide to the world's natural and paranormal mysteries. The Mongolian death worm is believed to possess spike-like projections at both ends of its body. The Mongolian deathworm's skin, uh, this is, again, this is a separate fact. The Mongolian deathworm's skin is an exoskeleton which molts whenever it becomes injured. All right. Um, speak outside of when it's killing humans and camels. Um... It's said to also enjoy the red Goyo plant. I have never heard of the Goyo plant until researching the Mongolian death worm. But, so from what I've heard, it tastes like a cross between an unripe banana and celery. Which is just such an odd combination. But... Um, there are two types of this plant, the red and white, which plays an important role in maintaining the balance of the Gobi ecosystem. Due to the high quality of the treatment and its scarcity, it is prohibited to collect and registered in the Red Book. It can cure high blood pressure, diabetes, rheumatism, headaches, dizziness, joint pain, hepatitis, nephritis, and cystitis. Um, it has also been used in folk medicine to treat constipation, stomach cramps, knee, kidney, back pain, and to improve sexual function. Sex bomb sex. Um, so yeah, that is, that's the Goyo plant. That's what the thing looks like. Um, something we could probably talk a little bit more about is its home, which, um... Yeah, I was semi-familiar with, but not... Again, heard the name, didn't know much about it, but the Gobi Desert. Um, the Gobi Desert is 500,000 square miles. Um, it is the fifth largest desert on Earth. The Gobi, from Mongolian Gobi, meaning waterless place, stretches across huge portions of both Mongolia and China. Um, so yeah, the, the species, you, you think desert and you don't really think about a lot of life there, animal life or plant life, but in reality, um, there are over 45 different species of animals and birds that live in the Gobi Desert. Um, And there are 400 different species of plants in the Gobi Desert. Um, some of the iconic species living in the Gobi Desert are the black-tailed gazelle, the Gobi viper, jerboa, which if you have not seen one before, you should look it up because they are adorable. J-E-R-B-O-A is a small, cute little mouse-like creature. It looks like it's got like... More like kangaroo-ish back legs for jumping and stuff. But um, the Gobi Bear and the Gobi Ibex. The Gobi Ibex is a species of wild goat that lives in the mountains of the Gobi Desert in Mongolia's south and southwest region. And if you know anything about me, I love goats. Goats are my, 
goes for my jam. Um, if I ever owned animals other than normal domesticated pets, a goat would be on the list of ones I want. Um, I made a friend with one in Washington at the Sam Amish Farm Sanctuary, which is a lovely little farm sanctuary you can go to and see some some goats, some llamas, some pigs. Lots of goats, actually. Lots of little goats. I like the tall goats with the floppy ears. I don't know if there's a name for that, but uh, yeah, those are the ones I like. Um, but yeah, if you're ever in Sam Amish, Washington, check out the, I think it's either Second Chance Farm or Last Chance Farm or something. Um, there's also a cow who couldn't walk that is walking now. Um, yeah, no. Check it wherever you are. Check out your local farm sanctuary. I say that and I'm a hypocrite because I lived in Des Moines for a very long time and I never made it to the Iowa farm sanctuary. I supported it. I sent donations. I bought products, <laughs> but I never went. Um, so yeah, but if you can, if you have the opportunity to go visit a farm sanctuary, uh, give them a little love. All right. So enough about that, but the Gobi Ibex. Sadly, the Gobi Ibex um, is hunted for pleasure and organized hunts of the Gobi Ibex are arranged by the trophy hunting industry operating in the region. Boo. Um, there is also the wild Bactrian. I'm going to say Bactrian. Bastrian. Bactrian. I'm going Bactrian camel and the snow leopard. Snow leopard in the desert? So the snow leopard is the top predator in the Gobi Desert. The animal is distributed in many parts of Central and South Asia and is also present in the Gobi Desert's mountain ranges, such as the Tian Shan Range. I am going to probably butcher a lot of names here and I apologize. Um, that's all I can do. I'm trying to, I'm, I'm bringing out the information though. It's getting out there, but T-I-A-N-S-H-A-N range. Uh, also sadly, but it's part of nature, so I accept a little more. The Gobi Ibex serves as the main prey of the snow leopard. Male snow leopards can attain a length of 1.3 meters and weigh about 57 kilograms. Female leopards, however, uh, are relatively smaller in size. The animals are highly endangered. And fewer than 500 are left in the Gobi Desert. Hunting by humans and human-animal conflict has triggered the population decline of these leopards. That's really sad. There's one snow leopard for every thousand square miles of the Gobi Desert. Sad indeed. Um, although snowfall in the Gobi Desert is rare, the dunes do get covered in snow from time to time. Wind speeds in the desert can get up to 85 miles per hour. That is nuts. Um, the Gobi Desert is made up of five separate ecosystems. The Eastern Gobi Desert Steppe, the Gobi Lakes Valley Desert Steppe, the Jungar Basin Semi-Desert, the Alashan Plateau Semi-Desert, and the Tian Shan Range. Um, the first dinosaur eggs 
to be discovered were found in the Gobi Desert. So that's one of its claims to fame. Um, and an interesting fact is, is that the Gobi Desert is growing by more than 1,300 square miles every year. That's crazy. Expanding into the southern grasslands of China, um, this process of desertification has worried the Chinese government, and they are planting new forests to try and halt the spread of the Gobi. The forest area is sometimes called the Green Wall of China. It's actually really cool. Um, but yeah, so there you have it. There's a little, little breakdown of the home. We probably forgot we were even talking about the Mongolian death worm at this point. Well, we're back on track now. Hope you hope you got a nice little geographical lesson there. So let's talk a little bit about the history uh, surrounding the Mongolian death worm. Um, because Mongolia had been under Soviet control until 1990, very little was known about the death worm in the West. It was first heard about in the West because of Roy Chapman Andrews. Um, he was in... Mongolia in 1920 studying fossils. Zoologist Roy Chapman Andrews was the first Western researcher to take note of the legend. He learned about the elusive sand creature from Mongolian officials before his pioneering expedition to document Mongolian wildlife. In his 1926 resulting book, On the Trail of Ancient Man, which if you try and find, it is relatively expensive. Well, you can get the Kindle version for like eight bucks. You can find it for free online as well, and it's one of the National Archives. But either way, if you want an actual copy, like the older copies are going for like two hundred on eBay or whatever, like first prints and everything. But it looks like a looking through it actually looks like a pretty cool book. But so in his nineteen twenty six resulting book on the Trail of Ancient Man, Andrews wrote, Then the premier asked that if it were possible, I should capture for the Mongolian government a specimen of the... <laughs> Damn it. I said I was going to write it down. I didn't. So if any time you notice me looking down from the screen, I have the pronunciation of the original name <laughs> written down because it is such a tongue twister that I know I will not remember it if I don't have it posted down there. Alright, so from the book. Then the premier asked that if, if it were possible, I should capture for the Mongolian government a specimen of the Olgoi Korkoi. I doubt whether any of my scientific readers can identify this animal. I could, because I had heard of it often. None of those present ever had seen the creature, but they all firmly believed in its existence and described it minutely. It is shaped like a sausage. <laughs> shaped like a sausage. There we go again. About two feet long, has no head nor legs. It's so poisonous that merely to touch it means instant death. It lives in the most desolate parts of the Gobi Desert, whither we were going. To the Mongols, it seems to be what the dragon is to the Chinese, the premier said. Although he had never seen it himself, he knew a man who had, and had lived to tell the tale. Then a cabinet minister stated that the cousin of his late wife's sister had also seen it. I promised to produce the old goy korkoi if we chanced to cross its path, and explained how it could be seized by means of long steel 
collecting forceps. Moreover, I could wear dark glasses so that the disastrous effects of even looking at so poisonous a creature would be neutralized. The meeting adjourned with the best of feeling, for we had a common interest in capturing the Olgoi Kortikoi. I was especially happy because now the doors of Outer Mongolia were open to the expedition. So yeah, the Prime Minister of Mongolia asked him specifically to look for the Death Worm. Um, gave him a pair of tweezers and protective goggles. Um, however, this antidote about the Mongolian Death Worm is merely a footnote in Andrew's book. Um, over 50 scientific papers were published by various scientists in Andrew's party as a result of this one expedition alone. Um, fun fact, the character of Indiana Jones is based off Roy Chapman Andrews. Never knew that before. I thought he was just some fictional character made up by the correct, by the creator of him. But yeah, so Roy Chapman Jones, Indiana, Roy Chapman Jones, Roy Chapman Andrews <laughs> is the, uh, yeah, Roy Chapman Andrews. Um, so ten years later, Andrews co-authored an account of further expeditions in the 1932 book, The New Conquest of Central Asia, in which he repeated this brief tale and added, I have never yet found a Mongol who was willing to admit that he had actually seen it himself, although dozens say that they know men who have. Moreover, whenever we went to a region which was said to be a favorite habitat for the beast, the Mongols at that particular spot said that it could be found in abundance a few miles away. Were not the belief in its existence so firm in general, I would dismiss it as a myth. I report it here with the hope that future explorers of the Gobi may have better success than we had running to Earth. Old Goy Korkoy. Old Goy Korkoy. Every time I say Old Goy Korkoy in that section, it was actually a-L-L-E-R-G-O-R-H-A-I space H-O-R-H-A-I and the Olgoi Korokoi was O-L-G-O-I dash well I spelled that one out earlier so I don't know if it's a different just a different spelling or just a different I don't know we're gonna go with this okay so after that then comes Ivan Mackerley. Now, Mr. Mackerley is the probably the more well-known um, studier, well-known researcher of the Mongolian death worm. It was actually um, kind of his specialty. He was known for the uh, he was known for the work he did with the Mongolian death worm. Um, he was a Czech. Cryptozoologist, author, design engineer, and explorer. He organized expeditions to search for the Loch Ness Monster of Scotland, the Tasmanian Tiger in Australia, and the Elephant Bird in Madagascar. You have to look that one up. I haven't heard that one before. He was most notable for his search of the Mongolian Death Worm, and he conducted three trips to Mongolia in 1990, 1992, and 2004. Mackerly first heard of the Death Worm as a boy from the work of Soviet paleontologist and science fiction author Ivan Yefremov. 
Yefremov. I hope that's right. My girlfriend tried to tell me how to ex pronounce it, and she is not here currently, so we're going with Ivan Yefremov. I-V-A-N-Y-E-F-R-E-M-O-V. Um, Efremov, who wrote a short horror story called Olgoy Korkoy in a 1954 collection called Stories. In it, a party of geologists is terrorized by the worms. Efremov was also a professional paleontologist and heard stories about the creature back in 1946 when he accompanied the Soviet Academy of Science paleobiological expedition into the Gobi Desert. Efremov wrote a non-fiction book about the Soviet expedition called The Wind's Path, in which he detailed conversations with Mongols about the death worm. In college, after mackerel meeting a Mongolian student who believed in the worm, he became obsessed. He combed through Mongolian literature to find more clues about the death worm and was finally granted permission by the government to conduct research there when he was in his late 40s. In a 1987 book called, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to butcher this, Altajin Sad, Sadak Gobed about the land and legends of a part of the Gobi, he found and provided his, this translation of this brief mention of the creature. Another, more dangerous animal also lives in the Gobi, the Olgoi Kohorikoi. It resembles an intestine filled with blood, and it travels underground. Its movement can be detected from above via the waves of sand that it displaces. So people, people are seeing these things. They're writing it down. They're letting them know. Uh, he found a slightly more dubious account in the 1990 Mongolian book Braid of Mongolian Secrets, in which the author cited a Soviet scientist named A.D. Simolkov as having described the creature back in 1930, though he gave no source, and there do not appear to be any other mentions anywhere of such a scientist or such a report. <sighs> Makes it a little less, you know, I mean... I, I want to believe it's real. In 1989, Macaulay set on Wenceslas Square with his friend Jerry Scoopian, uh, attending a big demonstration during the Velvet Revolution, and spoke of their desire to go to Mongolia. He made his first trip to Mongolia the following year in 1990. His team began an eight-week search for a large, lethal, dark red, worm-like creature believed to inhabit the Gobi Desert. The Mongolian Death Worm. Mackerly believed that it resembled the Amphisbanian of South Africa. He described the animal from second-hand reports as a, once again, sausage-like worm over half a meter, 20 inches long, and thick as a man's arm, resembling the intestine of cattle. Its tail is short, as if it were cut off, but not tapered. It is difficult to tell its head from its tail because there it has no visible eyes, nostrils, or mouth. Its color is dark red, like blood or salami. <sighs> I feel like when he wrote that report, Mackerley was very hungry. Um, inspired by Frank Herbert's 1965 sci-fi novel, Dune, which features giant sandworms that are attracted to rhythmic vibration, Mackerley's expedition team tried different ways to project vibrations underground during the search for the Mongolian death worm. 
One of the team's contraptions was a motor-generated thumping machine, but alas, their efforts proved fruitless, and McAuley concluded that the creature must be a myth. Give up so easily. He surmised the worm extracted its venom from the Goyo plant and could deliver lethal electric shocks to its victims. So, which I don't know how he came to that conclusion, because when I looked it up, it said it's not poisonous to humans. There's no... I think, like, no toxicology reports or something that it was poisonous to humans, so that's... But yeah, uh, in 1992, Mackerley made a second eight-week trip to Mongolia, during which he was warned at a Buddhist monastery that the worm was a creature of supernatural evil, and that he was in danger in his life searching for the creature. Mackerley recalls having a vivid dream about the worm and states that he woke up with unexplained blood-filled boils on his back. He collected enough photographs, footage, and data to make a documentary on his trips to Mongolia, broadcast on Czech television in 1993 as The Sand Monster Mystery. Mackerley's expeditions also included a futile search for man-eating death blossoms in Madagascar and a scuba diving exploration off of Micronesia Island in search of a mausoleum of platinum coffins. Bling bling! Um, from 1998 to 2002, he was chief editor of the Czech magazine Fantastica Facta, Fantastic Facts, writing about strange phenomena and the paranormal. He was also a consultant for the TV series production titled Zahadi Amasteria, Enigmas and Mysteries, between 1998 and 2000. In the early 2000s, he suffered from heart problems but recovered by 2004 and launched his third expedition to Mongolia in the late summer of that year. He scoured the desert with, with ultralight pilot Jiri Zitka, a video camera attached to the aircraft, but to no avail. He concluded the creature was likely mythical, the figment of imagination, or a psychological problem, as he put it, brought about by the extreme heat of the desert. While McAuley's expeditions failed to discover sound proof of the animal, they did provide most of the modern research material related to the Mongolian deathworm. Subsequent expeditions to hunt down the sand beast continue today. I don't know. He, you know, he does these three expeditions. Doesn't find it and says, well, it doesn't exist. <sighs> Mackerley, I'm looking at your track record. We didn't find the... Uh, the bird elephant, we didn't find the Tasmanian tiger, we didn't find... It, it sounds like, to me, I don't want to... I don't want to talk poorly about the deceased. He did pass away in 2013. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's... I don't know. This is just... Let's keep the search going. That's all I'm saying. Um, Russian scientists allegedly uncovered a dead specimen in 1972, but this specimen disappeared and is rumored to be hidden inside of the basement of a Russian museum, along with the Constitution of the United States. Um, in 2005, zoological journalist Richard Friedman mounted one such expedition but came up empty-handed. Friedman resolved that the tales of the worm must be apocryphal. 
and that reported sightings probably involved non-poisonous burrowing reptiles. Reality television series Destination Truth conducted an expedition from 2006 to 2007. A New Zealand television entertainment reported David Ferrier of TV3 News took part in an expedition in August 2009, but came up empty-handed as well. He conducted interviews with locals claiming to have seen the worm and mentioned on his website that the sightings peaked in the 1950s. So where are these worms? Um, this thing, like I think 1972 was like the last confirmed. I'm not positive on that, but I thought I'd heard 1972 was like the last confirmed sighting of seeing it. Um, I don't know. It's showing up in pop culture, though. I'll tell you that much. Um. <laughs> So the main antagon the main antagonists in the Trimmer series call were called um Graboids. Uh were based upon the Death Worm. Um the Death Worm made an appearance on Lost Tapes. This looks like it's a television series where a pack of death worms attack a couple of ATV riders who are stranded in the Mongolian desert. In 2010 in the sci-fi original movie, Mongolian Death Worm, the worms are seen as gigantic slug-like creatures with extendable jaws and able to climb walls. The worms in the movie don't have the ability to shock or spit acid, unlike the traditional legend says. Maybe they've evolved. Maybe this is... <laughs> but yeah, I saw the, uh, I saw some of the, um, some pictures from the movie and it looks... It looks like a 2010 sci-fi original movie. Um, didn't get a chance to check it out. I said I've been busy. Deal with it. Um, in the popular game Ark Survival Evolved, which is a game me and my friends have been talking about getting for like the last seven years and never buy it. Um, as a part of their Scorched Earth DLC, they added the Death Worm as a huge worm taller than a T-Rex with leg-like appendages by the mouth and only able to bite and claw. So that's that's in pop culture. That's in the current times where it's showing up. Um, again, sounds like all those are not in in line with, except for maybe the Lost Tapes one. Um, yeah, but they don't sound like they match up with the the Mongolian death worm we know. Am I right? Um, possible explanations. Um, there are worm species that have been known to live in sand instead of soil, like the giant beach worm, Australonophus teres, in Australia. Um, these, so this is creepy, right? Just talking with someone the other day, one of my coworkers about how growing up I wanted to go to Australia, and then growing up, I learned about all the things that can kill you in Australia. I, mean, I don't think this is one that can kill you, but it's still creepy. Um, yeah, these worms, the giant beach worms, get up to nine feet long, and but they're only one point five centimeters thick, so they're just creepily long. I'll have a picture. I'll put a picture on Instagram, whatever. I saw pictures of them and. Yeah, they're not pleasant. 
Um, but moreover, in worms, the circulatory system functions by absorbing oxygen through their skin and carrying it through their body, which would allow them to grow up to large sizes, like the death worm's purported five-foot length. Um, experts believe if it exists in the inhospitable Gobi Desert, um, it could not be a soft, fleshy worm. Instead, it is likely a type of snake or legless lizard. This also means it would be a vertebrate animal with a spine that would presumably be found by searchers. It is of course possible that the Mongolian deathworm exists. Of course, there would have to be more than one of them to sustain what biologists call a breeding population, like tens or hundreds of thousands of them. Perhaps next week, next month, or next year, such a bizarre creature will be found and examined by scientists. Um... Even though some people doubt the existence of the Mongolian deathworm, many people in Mongolia do not consider it a mythical creature. They believe it is a real animal that has not been identified yet, because there are so many different stories from witnesses who swear they have seen the creature in person. These witnesses range from park rangers to police officers to a Mongolian prime minister. New species, as we all know... New species of animals are found all the time, and there is a good possibility it could just be a snake or limbless lizard, or it could be a Mongolian death worm. So yeah, that uh, that sums up the Mongolian death worm there. Um, 500,000 square miles, you know, that's... To me, I'm just like, yeah, possibly there's something there we don't know about, especially if it's something that hides underground most of the time. Uh, it also hibernates for 10 months of the year, which is impressive and beautiful in its own little way. Um, but yeah, I think, uh, you know me, I'm a believer. I want to believe. I want to... I do believe in a lot of these things. Um, if not, I, t I don't want to believe in it because it sounds really creepy, really scary, and I don't ever want to have to run across it. But I do believe it could exist. Um, yeah, just it could just be a misidentified animal. It could just be like somebody I was watching one of the... I can't remember which. It was on one of the web pages, which you'll be able to see. Um, but they were talking about how, like, a human walking across carpet can create a decent amount of shock. Um, thought of a snake going through the sand and creating maybe not enough shock to kill somebody, but shock to shock the person, knowing that they've been shocked. Um, there was that explanation, and yeah, I don't know. There's a lot of desert out there, a lot to be seen, a lot of unknowns. Nothing scarier than the desert's the ocean, let's be honest. Um, <laughs> or maybe that's just me. But yeah, no, that's it's it's interesting to think about. It's it was fun to research. It was fun to look up, and um, I'm gonna have to check out the album on Spotify after I get off here. See what that's all about. See if I can uh, just name my band MDW, short for Mongolian Deathworm. But 
see what happens. Um, what do you think? Did you uh, you think this this creature, this cryptid, does exist and is not just a part of folklore? I always get that feeling. Like, what is this? I got the the memes going around right now. Like, it's funny how gnomes are a part of all these different cultures that. And at the time, they couldn't communicate with Julie because they were so far apart and everything. But everybody has this in their history. The thought of these, especially something that goes back this far, like, um, it's been around this long. It seems like there's a possibility that it does exist. Maybe they died off. Maybe 1972. That was the, that was the year of their extinction since nobody's seen one since. Or maybe... Maybe they're hiding. Who knows? Maybe it's defense mechanisms. Stay, stay away from the evil humans who are destroying everything. Keep the desert alive. I don't know. But like I said, there is a possibility. There are worms that live in the desert. I wouldn't have thought that just because you always think of worms that uh, drying out and stuff if they're out in the sun too long. But these go back underneath and they could be could not be who knows i don't know what do you think let me know send me an email at uh dotu or dotu podcast gmail.com or uh leave a voicemail on anchor.fm let's hear the let's hear your thoughts let's hear your let's hear your dreams let's hear your, your desires what do you what do you want out of this life um but no yeah Check out the socials. I will continue to keep updating as new episodes come out. I will keep bringing new episodes out. I love doing this. This is something I enjoy very much. I enjoy enjoy researching. I enjoy recording. Um, editing. Eh, it's got its days. Some days it's alright. Some days it's not so much. This one's ones where there's a lot of words that are hard to pronounce. Gets a little more editing done on them. <laughs> so this one might be one of the eh, episodes to uh, I feel about editing. Either way, uh, Linktree. L-I-N-K-T-R dot E backslash D-O-T-U podcast. It'll have all of our, so all of my socials, all of the, all of the podcast socials on there. Um, I'm on YouTube, I'm on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, App Podcasts. If you can, please rate and um, please rate it and review it. Um, it helps the the uh, podcast grow and become more visible. Um, yeah. Um, the other thing besides rating and viewing, share it with a friend. That's the biggest things that like help this podcast grow word of mouth and giving it positive ratings and reviews, moving it up. Um, but yeah, I hope you enjoyed this. I enjoyed, I really did enjoy doing this one. This one was a lot of fun, a lot of interesting history. Again, this one I knew almost nothing about before uh, finding it. I usually go by the Wikipedia page and see how long it is. Um, I thought, Oh, this is a, not too much here. This is going to be a short episode, but it actually, there was a lot of pages that came up when I started doing the research on this. So there was a lot to learn about the Mongolian death worm. Um, 
Anything you want to hear me go over? I've currently I've got a. Go look it up and see what it's called. I have a daily decision wheel on my phone with about 30, 30 or 40 different topics. And I have just been, if something comes up that I think I'd like to do and think would be a good fit for the podcast, I throw it on the decision wheel. And then I, when it's time to record a new episode, I just spin the wheel. And then I go with whatever pops up there, and then I take it off the list. Um, Like the Mongolian Deathworm. It wouldn't have been the first pick for me to do, but it ended up being a fun pick for me to do. And I hope you found it educational, informative, enjoyable. Um, But yeah, so please check out the socials, like, subscribe where you can. If you want there is the option of monetary monetary help as well i would love to get a new camera and a new microphone those are the only two things on my list that i really want right now i would love to get a new but for now it's working um i do get a little bit of compensation from when the podcast is listened to via the ad for Anchor FM on the podcast. So every time that gets played, I get like a penny or something maybe. Um, I think I get $10.50 for every thousand plays. I haven't hit a thousand plays yet. Um, But that's why I'm going to keep making them, keep bringing them out. But it is. I am getting more followers, more listeners. So that's awesome. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for telling your friends about the, about the podcast. Um, yeah. Um, but I guess that's it. I mean, you've been, you've been seeing what I've been seeing in the news and more and more unidentified aerial phenomena happening. Some of it's been identified, but some of it's unidentified aerial phenomena. Um, So, as always, keep an eye to the sky, and if you see a mound of stand start moving to you, it's time to start running. Alright, thank you for listening, and I'll see you in another two weeks.